Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. through the series of Titus, I kind of got on a, a, a repeat on speaking about the blessing that Paul gives at the start of each of his letters. So before we go into this time, I'd like to just give a blessing over you as a, a prayer at the start of my message as well. It also helps us center why Paul says the hard things he does in the books that he writes, the letters that he writes. In the very beginning of Galatians, Verse 3, he says, grace and peace to you. Remember when we talked about that? Grace and shalom. The fullness of life over you in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I speak those words over you and over myself as we go into the word today. Now, I just want to note that the book of Galatians is a tough one to preach through because it, it seems to be more of a narrative rather than like a list of things we should be considering. It's stories. And, but every chapter, he brings up this idea that we have freedom in Christ. So we may actually feel like each week as we're going through this book, you'll hear the same thing, freedom in Christ. But hopefully you'll hear it in different angles, different ways. It's one of the ways I like to think about taking a biblical truth and thinking of it as a, as a diamond that has many facets, right? And it reflects the light in different ways wherever you hold it. And may that be what happens as we dig into Galatians. But before we go into Galatians, we also have to note that whatever the message is that Paul is teaching, he is continuing to teach the message that Jesus came to teach. He's not teaching a separate message. And so I wanna speak over to you uh, the message that Paul is carrying. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's the same message that you're carrying. In Luke 2, it says that when Jesus launched his ministry, he spoke the words of Isaiah, who was speaking about his ministry, and he says that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the message that Jesus has come to preach. This is the message that we're called to live out every day. And when we dig into the chapter, we're going to look at that freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, and the oppressed are set free. You see, I'm already jumping ahead on a point. There are some of us who need to hear this message through the lens of you have grown up in the church and you are prisoner to certain traditions, 
to certain ways of thinking, to certain ways of behaving, and you need to be released, just like Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. There are some of you who are here with us today that are seeking and looking, and you're looking at, you know, do I want to follow Jesus or keep following Jesus? And maybe you need to be set free of a prison of sin, of ways of behaving that are broken within your family or within your coworkers or your personal life. Prisoners take on many different forms. They're not just ones that are found in jails. They can be jails of our own making. They can be jails that are put upon us by the, the, the groups that we live within. Some of us are blind to the sin that we commit. Some of us are blind to the ways that we are believing or behaving or belonging in different ways that we're associating. It is my hope that as we go through this series that we will experience freedom in Christ. And just like Pastor Gene talked about last week, in Galatians we find that being set free is not something we can do on our own. It's something that we need a rescuer for. There are things about being set free in freedom that can't be done by thinking your way through it, by trying to jiggle the lock yourself. You need a Holy Spirit. You need a Father. You need a Jesus who comes and breaks those doors open and causes the change to fall. And that's a hard place for us Western American Christians to accept that we might need someone outside of ourselves. In fact, Paul gets pretty upset, as Pastor Gene said last week, very quickly. He said that there are people who are throwing the church into confusion and perverting the gospel by moving from a gospel of grace into a gospel of law. Paul uses some pretty strong words in this chapter, too, and we'll get to them. So if you have your phones or your Bibles or whatever you might have brought with you to be able to look up Galatians, if you're uh, newer to finding your way around in the Bible, I like to remember that it's somewhere in the middle of the New Testament, and I think uh, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you can kind of remember that that block stands together in the order that they're in. And since I was thrown a challenge this morning, I get bothered by chapter divisions because I feel like I'm picking up where Pastor Gene was. I don't like how it feels like the story is truncated by chapter two, verse one, because I'm just continuing from chapter one. So just a little tidbit for all you history nerds out there, and maybe this is the convicting point you needed to hear today, is that chapters were added to the Bible uh, in the 1200s, okay? And verses were added to the Bible in the 1500s with the first printed version called the Geneva Bible. Someone here needed to hear that. We've not always had the Bible broken up into these nice little tidbits the Bible is intended to be read in its whole and for us to see the full picture and the full story. <laughs> Someone might even be down front for prayer for that one. 
Okay, so here we are. We're going to start with Paul's creds. I'm not going to go down through them because I've already taken some time. But basically, Paul, in some of his writings, he says, I am a Jew of Jews. He has a pedigree. He's got a background. He's got an education. He has experience. If anybody knows what Judaism is about, it's Paul, okay? Paul gives that um, story of how he gets to be called an apostle, right? Even though he didn't walk with Jesus, he has a vision of Jesus, and he has very real experiences with the resurrected Christ. And he gives his pedigree at the end of uh, chapter 1, and he moves into chapter 2, talking about how he gets the chance to preach among the Gentiles. Now, I'm not going to read every one of these verses, but I'll just give a little overview. He basically outlines that he has met with Peter, James, and John, who are kind of the inner circle of the early church, the people who walked alongside of Jesus and then helped provide leadership from Jerusalem. And he takes with him Barnabas and Titus. And in that meeting, he discovers, right, they settle that Peter is going to be called to preach to the Jews and that Paul is going to be called to preach to those who are called Gentiles or the non-Jewish people. And they shake hands on it. And he makes a little dig here. You already kind of know he's getting into a little bit of a fight with people. He says, uh, and they didn't force Titus, who is a Gentile, to change certain things about himself to fit in. Okay? They agreed together that this is the path that they're going to take. Everybody then agrees that the good news is faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news of salvation. In chapter 2, verse 9, James and Cephas, who is Peter, Cephas means rock, and John, those esteemed as pillars of the church, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship because they recognize the grace that has been given to me. Now, before we go into the section where it's about the conflict, I want to bring up something. It's uh, one of my favorite uh, concepts from St. Augustine. He says that if anybody has a reading of Scripture that does not build up the double love of God and neighbor, then they misunderstand the Scripture, they do not understand it, and they need to go back and read it again. Again, I've been a little bit of a broken record this morning. Freedom comes through Christ. Jesus says, I've come to bring freedom. Paul says, I've come to bring the good news of salvation to those who are not Jewish, which probably represents most of the people in this room. And what is that? That is belief in Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy that has been extended to us through his sacrifice. Now, I'm going to come to the conflict. I, in my, I had to have a bad pun in here somewhere. It's Peter, Paul, and Terry. I just gave a generational breakdown here. But the problem is, Peter and Paul are having an argument of what it means to hang out with people. And what did it take to be in the church, to tarry together? Now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things, well, not so favorite, one of, one of the things I thought a lot about as I was in congregational ministry was people would come up to me and they would ask me a question. Gene, I love it when people ask me questions. It gets a chance to get the dialogue going, right? 
But there are two kinds of questions. There are the kind of questions where someone comes with faith-seeking understanding, and then there's another kind of question where someone comes along and they've got a, they've got a ruler behind their back. And they're not interested in learning. They're interested in knowing where you're at and whether or not you measure up. I don't like those kind of questions. And I feel like there are times in our lives where we interact within the church, where we come and we have a dialogue with someone and we ask questions, and there's a measuring stick behind our back. I made a commitment before doing this message that I have stories in my life that go back 40 years of pain within the church and outside of the church. And there's no place right now for me to bring those up because it feels like I would do it to tear down a church or some believers. Because I think sometimes the pain we experience is not intentional. They do it in goodwill. They come to you and they ask the question to see if you measure up because that's just what they know. That's all they know. It's not about the relationship in Christ rooted in grace. You see, people come into the church and they begin, like Paul says in this chapter, that they are exchanging the freedom of Christ with rules and traditions. Paul says, he goes so far to say, I don't care if you're Peter or James or John. I love you, you're a brother, but I'm not playing favorites with you. And he goes so far to say that Peter stands condemned for his behavior. Now, Catholics actually have a real problem with this chapter. Who is Peter to tell the Pope? I'm sorry, who is Paul to tell the Pope what to do? Because they would see Peter as the first Pope. This is a pretty big controversy. He says that Peter stands condemned. But wait a minute, Peter walked with Jesus. But you see, Peter had the vision to reach the Gentiles. If you know your Bible, there's a story, right, that Peter received that the sheet comes down from heaven with animals that are unclean on it, and Jesus says to him, take and eat. And it's a symbol that Gentiles are not to be considered unclean. And Peter's forgotten that. He's made it convenient. He goes and he begins to meet with other Jewish people. And he begins to treat those who are Gentile as less than. And it's so bad that Barnabas leaves Paul and begins behaving the same way. The man who received the vision that the kingdom of God was going to take in every tribe, tongue, and nation dropped the ball. And Paul's going, wait a minute. We had an agreement. We're on the same team. We're moving in the same direction. Yes, you may be reaching the Jews. I'm working with the Gentiles. We are not less than. He even goes so far to say, Paul, I mean, Peter, you live like a Gentile. You live like a non-Jewish person. But when the Jewish people are around, it's like you flip a switch and you're somebody else. It's called hypocrisy, right? We've never wrestled with that in the church before. So I'm going to kind of drill it in just a little bit to make it applicable to where we're at. We're, we are in this facility 
but the gathered body is called Restore Church. And the beauty of being a church plant is that the DNA of the organization or the gathering of people is still coalescing, coming together. It's, it, in this area, you're gonna be today, some of you will be staying for our DNA, right? To find out more about the church. And so there is a beauty in the sense that we are not maintaining hundreds of years of tradition just because multiple generations are, have done it before us, okay? Like there's, there's, there are certain things that certain churches keep doing every year, generation, generation after generation that are, they're nice, but they're traditions. They're human traditions, not rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ. Restore's main goal is to know Jesus and our neighbors. The mantra that is on the website says, marked by love, we are a tribe of human beings leaning into what it means to live the abundant life, restored to our true identity in Jesus. What it means to live in freedom with our true identity in Jesus. And the vision is to restore with restoration and peace as our hallmarks. Restore churches infused by the Spirit of Christ to gather and worship and are empowered to serve and invest in others. These are beautiful statements. They're non-condemning. They're not insular. They are outward focused. They are Jesus focused. We are not doing it alone. We have the Spirit and we do it with worship. We do it with service, the gathering together in community. But every single church struggles with this battle between Paul and Peter. We have our own holy huddles. We have our own cliques. Some of them intentional, some of them unintentional. I don't, I don't say this to say that I'm over or above or arrived. I'm saying this, I see it in myself. I gravitate towards the people that I wanna to talk to on Sunday morning. I don't always get across the aisle to shake the hand of somebody who's visiting. I don't go out of my way some weeks to call someone that's on my mind that the Spirit is convicting me that might be having a bad week and I really should have sent them a text to let them know they're loved and they're cared for. Every church is different. Every church reaches a different group. Every church does things differently with their worship, their preaching styles. I believe that God gave lots of lures to reach lots of different fish. But that doesn't mean that we also then sit there and say that, but we have a better relationship with God. We've arrived. We are the epitome of what church should be like. We have to be careful about the honoring of one over another. No church escapes this conversation. You see, on one hand, the church is called to be this refuge, this place in a time of storm where we come together and we're together with like-minded people and we do life together with people who understand where we're at. But we can't be all that way. We can't all be in our little like Jewish huddle, 
We have to be over here saying, but there are people who are out in the storm who don't have someone that's walking with them that desires love and mercy and grace and the experience of Jesus Christ working in their life. I don't know. I told Gene it's just really hard because I feel like these themes are a tension that I'm always living in in my life. I feel it's what they call a cruciform tension where you have this relationship with God and this relationship with others and they pull and they push and nothing ever seems to really just stay settled. And, and so I feel like, like part of what I want to talk about today is, is the, the, the part where people are out there and they don't have a place to belong and we've sometimes intentionally or unintentionally forced them out. I feel like there's a, there's a message in here for people who are in church and they're not feeling like they're connecting with other people in the church. And I feel like there's another message over here where there are people who are in the church and they're doing just fine and they have no idea and they're oblivious to the fact that they've not included these other people across the aisle. Somewhere in there, one of you need to hear this. That every once in a while, we experience what's called a healthy shame or a guilt that comes upon us from the Holy Spirit that convicts us and says, I need to make a change. I know what to do is right. Give me the power, Lord. Help me step into it. Amen? I had a friend of mine say to me today, is, uh, yesterday, I'd like to move into the final part of my message, which is kind of to step in, to, to just, just step into walking in freedom of Jesus in this specific way that the conflict highlighted. He said, you know, maybe Peter is the prophetic voice, and maybe Paul is the theological voice, and we need both. Because see, Peter had the vision. Peter had the vision of what the church is going to be, and Paul wound up being the one who fleshed it out. And when you have a prophetic and a theological voice in one setting, there's always going to be some wrestling, but they're together on the same team and they're moving forward. I have to have a vision of what the new reality is going to be, but I cannot lose sight of the, the, the very idea of like who Jesus is, right? I can't have a wrong view of Jesus as the Son of God who died, gave everything for me, and called me to give up everything and to live in his grace and his mercy. If I get those things wrong, the vision doesn't make sense. It doesn't roll forward. I'd like to go to the section that I wanted to speak about from this chapter. Galatians 2:19. For through the law I died to the law that I might live for Christ. Paul is, I mean, yeah, Paul is the Jew of Jew. He knows the 613 mitvot, the holy, righteous laws of the Jewish people. Are they good? Yes, they're good. The Ten Commandments, don't kill people. Don't chase after someone else's wife. Like, these are good things, right? 
But the heart of the matter is it's rooted in a love of God and the love of neighbor. And he said, you know what? I knew the law. The law pointed out that I needed Jesus. But I died to the rules that I might live in Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know about you, but, but this is like a lifelong journey. How in the world do I live in a way that I am crucified to myself, I'm not self-centered, I am Jesus-centered, and Jesus lives in me. You see, the world likes to think of Christians almost like these spiritual zombies where we're just some host for some spiritual father to just come in and like take over our lives and take away our joy and we just kind of go through life because he wants us to dance a certain way. But that's not true. If we come along and we say, hey, Jesus, I want you in me, this isn't some zombie life. This is a life that is abundant. He puts some things in place and starts teaching me that, you know, maybe if you stay committed to the one that you love, there might be a little less pain. And it might be a more victorious way of living. There's all kinds of rules in the Bible, but they really have their heart in Jesus wanting you to live a victorious and abundant life. If I'm just coming at you because I'm using these rules to say, well, hey, you know, you broke them, I'm better than you, that's not the heart. I hope I'm making sense here. And I don't know about you, but every day I gotta stand here and say, you know, I, I am with you shoulder to shoulder saying, I'm trying to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so he says in other places, right, I don't just keep sinning to abuse the grace of God. I don't set aside God's grace. Or if all of this could be gained through living through the rules and going through the motion, Christ died for nothing. He died in vain. I already acknowledge this, but I, I have it in my notes and I feel like I need to say it again, that I feel like there are a number of people who have come into our, the doors or into the community of Restore that have experienced spiritual abuse within the church. You've experienced a sort of Peter saying you're not really welcome at this table. I'm sorry. There have been times in my life where I've been a part of that. But I've also been on the other side and I've experienced people saying, well, you're not good enough. Some of you need to hear that we just sit with you and we acknowledge the pain. And I've already said this, some of you are searching. Some of you don't have that background or you've experienced the pain and the hurt of this world and the shame that it puts on you to keep you 
in your place. That you're never good enough. I'm sorry. You see, at the heart of the battle between Peter and Paul, I'm so glad it's there. It shows that church is messy. Life is messy. At the heart of the battle is that there are some of us, maybe in this case called the Gentiles, who need, we're already, we already, the shame is ever before us. We already know what we're doing wrong. We already carry the weight of all the ways that we've failed in relationships, the way we've hurt and we've been hurt. We don't need another person to come along and say, you don't belong because your marriage fell apart. We need someone to come along and say, God's grace is sufficient for you. Go and sin no more, but there's an abundant life ahead of you. Some of us need to feel the heat of guilt where we've not realized that we've been living in righteousness, not grace. that we're sinning against God and our neighbor by trying to shame people into change when we are the ones that maybe need the guilt of the Holy Spirit to convict. I'd like to bring this to a conclusion and a ending. It might be on a little more joyful note because I do believe that when we feel the hand of God upon us, pressing down like the heat of summer, there's a relief that comes and the spirit blows. It's like the cool, refreshing wind. And that's what I want for you. So we'll, we'll I'll invite the, the worship team to forward. And there's gonna be a time of prayer as the last song is being done. And there'll be prayer team members up here. And if there's anything that you wanna have prayed for, these people's hearts are for you just like the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to die to myself and live in Christ. I want to be malleable. I want to be able to change. I don't want to stay where I'm at. I want to be a vessel of God's grace. I don't want to live under the law. And if that resonates with you, step into it. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.